0: Well, at the end of last year, I saw and advertised on, a, on the BBC Two, I think it was, a series of programmes entitled Who Do You Think You Are? Got a very grainy picture of it up here. And I didn't see many of them, but they were advertised a lot. And the idea behind them was a really interesting one. Basically, each programme would take a celebrity. The one I saw had um, David Deal, the Jewish comedian and writer. Um, and they were given the resources to investigate their family tree and learn a bit about their own past. David Vidal learnt more about the reasons why his family had to leave Europe in the 1930s. They fled from the Nazis. Um, and it was quite a moving programme actually of him tracking down where his grandparents used to work and live. And there was really no sign of them now um, because of what had happened in the 1930s. See, the idea behind this series was a very simple one. The idea was that to understand yourself, you need to understand your ancestors. And the series we're about to begin this morning and follow for the next few weeks will have us looking at the book of Genesis and looking at the character of Abraham. And the New Testament is very clear about Abraham. It says, if you're a Christian here this morning, then Abraham is your ancestor. And you can learn a lot about yourself by looking at him. See, Paul writes to the Christians in Rome saying, Abraham, he's the father of us all. He writes again to Christian in Galatia saying, those who believe are children of Abraham. And in the same letter to the Galatians, he says, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise that God gave to him. So a Christian can say that Abraham is my ancestor. And we know a lot about what a life lived by faith in Jesus Christ looks like by looking at Abraham. But another really important thing about Abraham and why we're looking at him is he isn't just our ancestor. Abraham is Jesus' ancestor. Physically, Jesus came into the world through Abraham's descendants. And the opening lines of the New Testament make that clear to us. That's in the Gospel of Matthew Matthew begins the New Testament begins his message of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus by saying giving us a big long list saying a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David the son of Abraham see this isn't just one of those random facts in the Bible so the link between the life of Abraham and the life of Jesus is a really important thing and tells us an important thing about God's word See, it's easy for us to think the Bible is just lots of different stories that were randomly put together over the years. But in fact, what writers like Matthew are telling us here is that the Bible is actually one big story, and every bit of it feeds into that story. See, the Bible tells us about God creating the world, including humanity. It tells us about humanity rejecting God and the world being cursed as a result of that. It tells us about God dealing with that curse by sending Jesus into the world to die on the cross and to rise again. And it also tells us that in the future, Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead and to bring about a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. So the Bible is a huge story. It's the record of God restoring the world through his son Jesus. And every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, contributes to that story. So it's a useful question to ask of any part of the Bible. Where does Jesus fit into this? What does this story or teaching or psalm or prophecy tell me about Jesus, about why he had to come and what he'd come to do? See, the Bible a film in Jesus is very clearly the hero. And he may not be in every scene, but ultimately the plot and the action all revolve around him. So, the question is then, where does Jesus fit into the life of Abraham? We've already said that Abraham was the physical ancestor of Jesus. Jesus would ultimately come into the world through Abraham's family. But as we look at Abraham and his life, we also learn a lot about why Jesus had to come into the world and what it means to follow Jesus in our lives today. What it means to deal with doubts, with disappointments, with real trials in our lives. But above all, what it means to trust in God's amazing promises. Promises that the New Testament tell us began with Abraham, but which finish up with Jesus and the cross. And we're going to look at some of those promises this morning. So, Genesis 12, if you don't have that open already, you are going to turn to page 13 again in the Church Bibles. We're going to look at these verses for a few minutes and the story of Abraham is really the story of a new beginning to God's purposes in the Bible it's the story of how God began to save the world through extremely unlikely people and through extremely unlikely methods but as well as being a beginning Abraham also follows on from what went on before and I'm not always great at adding up but I'm reliably informed that Genesis 12 follows on from Genesis 11 um, and Genesis 1 to 11 the opening chapters of the scripture, are a unique part of the Bible. They're the beginning of the Bible and they explain to us who made the world, what the world was originally like and what went wrong with the world. They describe how the first people, Adam and Eve, rejected a life of obedience to God and how God punished them and the world as a result. And then these opening chapters, 1 to 11, describe the spread of sin. So the first son born to Adam kills the second son born to Adam. Cain kills his brother Abel. Death now affects everyone. And God sends a flood in Genesis 6 to demonstrate his anger towards sin. I think a really key part of those chapters is Genesis 6, 5 to 6. I'll just read those out for us about God's feeling about his world. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And after the flood, things are no better. Genesis 11 tells the story of the Tower of Babel where the nations of the world finally unite but they unite against God to make themselves great apart from knowing God. So God limits the damage they can do by confusing the languages and scattering them all over the earth. So by the time we come to Genesis 12, the world appears to be in a mess. The curse on the world is clear from these opening chapters as it's clear to see today. We looked at this a bit with the 11 to 14s a while ago and just every member of the group was able to see how the world is not as it should be. Examples they came up with the Asian tsunami Holocaust Memorial Day Beslan in Russia Situation in Iraq So the big question in Genesis 12 when we come to it is what is God going to do about this world Will he destroy the world in an act of judgment like the flood? Or will God save it? And the answer comes in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Let's read those out for us again. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people and your father's household and go into the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, Genesis 12 tells us that God is planning to save the world and he's going to begin to do that through this man called Abram. That leads to a question what makes Abram so special. We've learned a bit about Abram in Genesis 11, if you want to look back there. We're told there that he comes from a place called Ur. Um, He's married to a woman called Sarah. She can't have children. Um, And that's it. That's all we're told about Abram. Basically, there appears to be nothing special about this man. We can guess at some of his past history, we can guess at things like the pain but it was to Abram and Sarah that they weren't able to have children. But the writer of Genesis gives gives us nothing else to go on. See, Abram doesn't appear to be special at all until he is called by the Lord. Why does the Lord speak to Abram and no one else? We aren't told. But there is nothing in Abram to recommend himself to God. See this in Genesis 12 is God's grace at work, calling not the great and the good to follow Him, but the ordinary and the seemingly unimportant. But what we are told is what the Lord said to Abram and what Abram's response was, and that's going to be our focus for the next few minutes. So, verse one: What God says to Abram: Leave your country, your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. See, God is clear and direct with Abram here. There's going to be a cost to him following the Lord. If he's going to follow God, then there are sacrifices he has to make. He's been called to leave everything he has ever known to follow the Lord to a land that he knows nothing of. Abram very quickly learns that God is honest with him about that cost. And I think this is something that often we're not very clear on as Christians. But Jesus is always very clear. There's a few verses in Luke that are just pretty scary actually. Luke 14, 25 to 27, where Jesus is being followed by large crowds of people. People are finding him really attractive as a person, they're going, This guy is amazing. We want to know this person. And we might think, well, great, how is is going to keep these people following him? But he turns around to these large crowds and says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple." See, would we ever use Jesus' words here? I'm not sure that I would. See so often we want to emphasize the benefits of following Jesus, that we forget totally about the costs until difficult times come. And then we begin to fear that life is hard, because somehow we are living outside of God's will for us. See, the Bible is clear: there are sacrifices to be made in the Christian life and there will be suffering if we are authentically following Jesus Christ people often will not respect us and they'll mock us we may suffer because of prejudice in the workplace and clearly in some parts of the world people are still being killed for following Jesus the question that's asked of us is Will we be honest with ourselves about the cost of living for Jesus and be prepared for that? Will we be honest with other people about the cost of following Jesus? Will we be honest and tell friends that there are things to give up when we follow Jesus? Because that's a real challenge for me. I think in the youth groups I lead, um, will I be honest with all the members of those groups to say that there are sacrifices involved in following Jesus. See, are we prepared to make those sacrifices? Are we prepared to give up some of the dreams we might entertain and might have had for our lives so that we can be committed to following Jesus? We're not always told to give those up, but sometimes we do have to give up a dream. Are we prepared to follow Jesus even when that hurts us See, Abram is called to leave everything for the Lord. And we also are called to make sacrifices for God at times in our lives. But of course, God doesn't stop there. And if he did, we might rightly just despair this morning. But actually the vast majority of these verses talk about, not sacrifices that Abram has to make, but blessing that God is going to give to Abram. See, there are blessings in following the Lord as well, and that's the main focus of what he says to Abram. Verses two to three. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you. I will make your name great, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, we've already seen this morning. Looking over the opening chapters of Genesis. That there's been a curse in the world. And the spread of sin that followed on from Adam and Eve's rejection of God is really clear in Abram's world. But here God responds to that curse with blessing. God responds to the curse by promising to bless Abram and bless his descendants. See, God is beginning to reverse that curse in the opening chapters. Now, the word blessing is repeated loads of, and loads of times in these verses. But what does it mean to bless someone here? Well, the useful definition of blessing is to be able to act for someone's good when you've got the power to do so. To act for someone's good when you have the power to do so. And you see, only God has the power to reverse that curse, to reverse the effects of human rebellion in Genesis 3 to 11. And here God is committing himself to working for Abram's good when Abram follows him. And let's just sprint through some of these blessings here. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Now it's easy to forget just how unlikely that seems at the time. Verses 4 to 5 tell us that Abram, at the time of his calling, his family consisted of his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, some people they'd acquired in Haran, But that was it. We I mean, now far from being a great nation in chapter 12. And the most significant factor going against God's word here was the fact that Sarah was barren. Sarah couldn't have children. Chapter 11 verse 30 tells us that. So how could God take an aging couple who couldn't have children and promise that out of them would come a great nation? It just didn't make sense to Abram. Verse 2 again. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And again, that seems unlikely. We begin to see how God has followed through with that promise a bit more easily this time. Because here we are, living in Oxford, approximately 3,800 years after these words were spoken to Abram. And we know Abram's name. Abram's name actually is great and I think there's a desire in all of us often barely expressed we would like to be remembered when we're gone we'd love to make a real impact on the world it's easy to see that in the arts in music, in books, in movies in architecture you can see it in politics Um, what will be the Blair legacy what will historians in the future make of him as a Prime Minister but it's a desire in all of us. What will my family and friends think of me when I'm gone? What will my children remember me for? Will my work colleagues miss me when I move on? Will I have made a positive impact on their lives? See, the Bible's clear. The desire to be remembered can be a good desire and it can be a destructive one. And she's supposed to compare Abram in chapter 12 with the builders of the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. See, verse 4 of chapter 11, the builders of that tower, uniting against God, say, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. See, the builders are trying to be remembered, but they're doing that apart from God. And if you're a Christian here today, your prayer has to be that people will remember you for following Jesus and for living a distinctive life for Him. But how can we really make an impact on the people around us, on this world? I think again, Abram tells us here it's only by trusting in the God of the Bible that we will make an impact for Jesus in the world and if we make an impact for Jesus then we're going to make an impact that lasts into eternity see the psalmist got it right Psalm 127 unless the Lord builds the house its builders labour in vain unless the Lord watches over the city the watchmen stand guard in vain now none of us today is Abram And he had a unique role to play in human history, as we'll see in the coming weeks. And I doubt that many of us will be remembered in 3,800 years' time if the world is still going on that long. But if we live our lives trusting in the God and Father of Jesus Christ and seeking to point to Jesus in everything we say and everything we do, then we can know that what we do with our lives is going to last into eternity because our lives will be lived for the glory of God. See, don't fall into the trap that the builders of the Tower of Babel fell into and try and make a name for yourself. Instead, trust in the Lord and live for Him, Abram's telling us, and you will be a blessing to those around you. Again, that's the second bit there. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. See, that's God's intention. God blesses Abram so that he is going to be a blessing to others. And God blesses us today so that we will be a blessing to others. I think it's right to pray to God that he would bless you. But always with the understanding that the whole of Scripture points out that God blesses his people so that they and be a blessing to others. So don't pray for an easy and comfortable life. It's very easy to do that. And so pray that through your life, God will bless others. Through your integrity at home, and at work, at school, at university. Through your love for friends, for family, for strangers that through all these things you would be able to point to Jesus and the forgiveness and new life that he offers. See, God blesses us so that we can bless others. Then verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. See, God promises here to protect and care for Abram. It's God's blessing here is that he places himself firmly on Abram's side. Or maybe more accurately, he brings Abram onto his side, onto God's side. If he bless Abram, and I will bless you. Mess with Abram, and I will mess with you, God is saying. And that's an amazing privilege that Christians share with Abram today. See, God cares deeply for his people, the Bible tells us as a father cares for his children. And God actually takes it personally when his people are attacked or persecuted or mocked. Remember Jesus' words to Saul on the road to Damascus. After Saul's been hunting the early Christians down, imprisoning them, Jesus appears to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When Christians suffer, Christ suffers. And when Christians are cursed, God sees that. And he will see that justice is done. See, that's an amazing privilege of being a part of God's people. And one that none of us deserve. It's never something to be proud of or arrogant about. It's a gift of God. I think Paul sums it up most clearly in Romans 8. If God is for us, Who can be against us? And then finally, we come to the end of verse 3, which is probably the most significant of God's blessings to Abraham. Certainly the most significant for us. That's verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, if you're a Christian here this morning, I want you to take a moment to think. What would your life be like if Jesus Had never come into the world. Just take a moment there. What would your life be like if Jesus had never come into the world? So the rest of the Bible is clear. You'd be lost. It says we'd be living in a world cursed by sin with no hope of forgiveness or justice. With no hope of a better world, of a new heaven and a new earth. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, the Bible is also clear at this moment in time, that is the world that you're living in. It's the only hope any of us have is based on the fact that God did send His Son Jesus into the world to die for our sins and to rise again, that we could have a new life with Him. And we've already seen today that Jesus came into the world as a direct descendant of Abram. See, God's promise to bless the whole earth came through Abram and was fulfilled when Jesus was born about 1,800 years after this promise is made. See, God is calling Abram to follow him as part of his plan to send Jesus into the world to rescue people from their sin and the rejection of God by trusting in him. See, God's commitment to bless Abram all those years ago really is good news for the whole earth as we're going to be thinking about in this series. So we have seen that Genesis 1-11 has a global focus how the whole world was created and ruined by sin. And then we come to Genesis 12 and it's easy to think well, suddenly the focus is narrowed on one person, on one man, Abram. But in reality, the focus hasn't changed. God's concerns are still global in Genesis 12. All peoples on earth are going to be affected by Abram's obedience. The blessings God promises to Abram are open to all people through Abram's great descendant, Jesus Christ. And how are God's blessings set in motion here? Well, we're going to sprint through the remaining verses to tell us. They're set in motion through Abram's obedience, and that's verses 4 to 9. i just read verse 4 there. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. And verse 5, they set out to the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. See, God's blessings were set in motion through Abram's obedience. See, Abram is held up as an example of true faith in the Bible. And he shows us here that true faith is expressed in obedience to God. So we spent time this morning thinking that God is taking the initiative here. He is calling Abram and blessing Abram. God called Abram to follow him. And Abram was nobody special. See, God called him by his grace. But we also need to see That Abram had to obey that call. And it's the same for us today. We need to recognize that if God hadn't taken the initiative in sending Jesus into the world to die for our sin, if God hadn't called us to follow him, then the Christians among us this morning would still be lost. It's not simply that we drifted towards God or decided God would be a good idea. The New Testament is clear. God had to take the initiative to rescue us and to send Jesus. However, the New Testament is also clear that it's not enough to be called by God. We need to respond to that call by obeying it, as Abram did. By following Jesus by turning our backs on a life of rejecting God and by trusting in Jesus for everything we need from now on. See, like Abram, we need to to obey God's call. For Abram, that meant moving to Canaan, living as a stranger there. For us, it means following Jesus and living for him as strangers here. See, verses 6 and 7 show Abram travelling through the land of Canaan. And his life was now like one of the refugees that Lisa was telling us about. Abram had no home in Canaan. And he would live the rest of his life there in a tent. And verse 6 reminds us why Abram couldn't settle in the land. It says, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. So the land was owned by other people. God's promise of a land to Abram was not yet fulfilled. But verse 7 has the Lord appearing to Abram and reassuring him that his promises are on track. Verse 7 To your offspring I will give this land. See, Abram still had no offspring. He still had no children. But he believed God's promises here. And he built an altar to God here. See, Abram Has faith in the Lord, not blind faith, but faith in the God who speaks—the same God who speaks to us today through His Word, by His Spirit. And in verse eight, Abraham moves again to a place near Bethel and Ai, and again he builds an altar to the Lord and he calls on the name of the Lord. And people aren't sure what he's doing here. Is he declaring his obedience to the Lord? Is he seeking God's guidance for his life? Is he seeking to get to know God better? See, whatever the precise reason, Abram builds altars and calls on the name of the Lord in Canaan. See, Abram recognised his need to remember the Lord in this new land where he was living. And he recognised his need to stay close to the Lord for protection and guidance in his new life of faith where he lives as a stranger in the land. And the application for us today is clear, I think. If you're a Christian here today, you're called to live for Jesus in a world that rejects him. If you're a Christian, you're an alien and a stranger in the world. That's how the New Testament describes us. This world is not your home. The minute you begin to follow Jesus your home becomes the place that God has prepared for you. The new heaven and the new earth. But you're not there yet. And that's the life of faith that we're called to. We're called to trust in God's promises even though we haven't fully received them. And we're called to follow Jesus in obedience while never quite feeling at home here. And to live as an alien and a stranger in the world, we need to do what Abram did here. We need to remember the Lord and call on his name. See, Abram built altars to God. What can you do to remember Jesus in your daily life? You try to think as concretely as possible. What will help you to remember God's great and precious promises this week? Will you take time to read a bit of God's Word this week? And more than that, will you take time to chew over what you read? As long as you just read really quickly, well, that's my bit done for the day, and move on. But actually thinking about what we're learning so that we'll love God more and want to follow Him more. Just other things that can help us remember God. Remembering some of the songs we sing, some of the great songs we sing about how great God is. Having those in our minds is a great way of remembering God's promises to us. If you're brave, you can even whistle or sing. But if we're going to persevere as followers of Jesus, then we need to remember the Lord. And we need to call on his name. We need to pray to God. We need to admit that we're weak and we need God's help and strength. If we're going to keep going for God in a world that ignores him and rejects him, So never be too busy to pray. Always remember that God is your loving Father and He invites us to bring our concerns before Him. He longs for us to do that. Remembering the Lord and calling on His name, that is absolutely crucial if we're going to keep going as Christians. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, then ask yourself, well, is God calling me to follow him if he is then you need to be like Abram here and respond to God's call by obeying it and there will be sacrifices to make like Abram may even be asked to leave everything you know to follow Jesus but if you're willing to live that life for God then God promises to bless you with that new life. And the blessings of a life lived with God and for God far outweigh any sacrifices we might make in our lives. So we're going to leave Abraham in verse 9? Travelling through a land that God had promised him and to his descendants. The land doesn't belong to him yet. He doesn't have a son to inherit the promises God has made to him. And he's living as an alien and a stranger in this land. But he has obeyed God's call and God has promised to bless him. So how should we respond to all this today? Well, we can thank God today that Abram was obedient and trusted in God because through Abram's obedience, Jesus eventually came into the world. We can be obedient like Abram and trust in God's promises to followers of Jesus just as Abram did. Even though we're not yet free of sin and death and suffering. Even though we're not yet seeing God face to face. That's for the future. But in the meantime, we're called to have faith in the God who speaks and who's the power to deal with all the sin and injustice in this world. And we can remember that God blessed Abram so that the whole world will be blessed through him. God chose to begin the process of saving the world by calling an old, childless, insignificant man to follow him. And God ended the process of saving the world by sending his son Jesus to die a shameful, horrific painful death on a cross in our place see as with the call of Abram God showed his wisdom and strength at the cross through what we might see as foolishness and weakness see God has always achieved his purposes in totally unexpected ways to demonstrate how his wisdom strength and love are so different to ours And they're so much greater than ours. So we can thank God for his commitment to rescue people from sin and from death. We can thank God for his plan to send Jesus into the world. That Jesus came and died in our place thanks to Abram's obedience. And we can pray that we will be obedient people like Abram and that we will trust in God's ability to keep his promises and to keep us. See, Abram certainly wasn't perfect, and we're going to see that next week. But God committed himself to blessing Abram and keeping him. And if we commit ourselves to following Jesus in our lives, we can know that God is committed to blessing us and keeping us also. So let's remember God this week and call on his name to keep us close to him.